Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, I'm Gemma and welcome to another episode of Good Influence. This is the podcast where each week you and I meet a guest who will help us pay attention to something we should know about as well as answer some of your questions. This week we're talking about toxic masculinity, where we learn our ideas about gender roles, how patriarchal ideas harm people of all genders, and why actually maybe the term toxic masculinity isn't always the right one. So joining me this week is Ben Hurst. Ben is an activist, model, podcaster and public speaker. He's the head of facilitation and training for Beyond Equality, an organisation which works with men and boys to explore and interrogate their thinking around gender equality, masculinity and inclusive communities. We don't present any alternatives of like how fast masculinity can be like I think all of the messages you get as you're growing up are very specific and very defined so if we take a bit of a kind of deeper dive into toxic masculinity today it is a term I'd say which has suddenly become a lot more mainstream and kind of widely used in the way that we talk about behaviours in our society. Would you be able to give us, for somebody who maybe doesn't know, a bit of an overview of what the term toxic masculinity actually refers to? Oh, it's so sticky. Do you know why it's so sticky? I don't... Okay, so the the best place to start is that I work for an organisation that works in schools and universities and corporates doing stuff around gender equality, um, particularly through the lens of masculinity. And we we really try hard in our work not to use the phrase toxic masculinity because I, mm. I think what I find is it just pisses people off like immediately and people either... One of two reactions, either people are like, oh yeah, I 100% agree with that, or people are like, I 100% disagree with that, and there's not really any in between. It's quite a polarising term. Mm. But I guess when people are talking about toxic masculinity, my understanding of it is that people are talking about what happens when masculinity is, I guess, kind of pushed to the extreme. Um, Or I think also people are also talking about all of the negative aspects of masculinity all of the negative characteristics and traits and norms um and we label those things as toxic and therefore that is toxic masculinity but yeah it's 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 an interesting question because i i often find like when when i interrogate people as to like what they mean when they use the phrase loads of people don't really know i think there's like a general like idea in the zeitgeist of what it is right Mm -hmm. like a, a shared understanding that like where my mind goes is like, I hear toxic masculinity, I think automatically of like men are trash. And and that is like where that kind of lives for me in that kind of area. Um, but I spend a lot of time talking to men, so I try not to tell them that they're trash too much. That's fair. Um, I, try to, <laughs> I try to help us <laughs> reach our own conclusions in a healthy way. 
Um, so yeah, I, I, that sorry, that's blatantly not answered the question, which is really annoying, no, especially in fine. the beginning of a podcast. But um, yeah, it's 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 a weird term. Um, but I guess the the general understanding of it is like all of the negative parts of masculinity that have negative impacts on men and everyone else and then we call those things toxic masculinity so I feel like what we usually so when I hear the term and I sort of see people using it to talk about it's usually to me behaviors of men Mm -hmm. which go to be damaging or negative either to men themselves or then to women and other people of the genders Mm -hmm. so to me, then I usually think you hear a lot of conversations about clothing, for example, if you know, like what are, what can men wear, not wear, sort of judgments placed around that. Mm-hmm. And men not being able to express their feelings, I feel like is another one that you would talk about quite a lot. Mm. Are there other kind of key outcomes of these behaviors or kind of other other negative things that you see a lot that come up from this these kind of masculine traits that maybe aren't the most favorable yeah so this is why it's so interesting to me because i like i obviously (laughs) i work in it so i really enjoy the conversation but one of the things that i come across a lot when i'm talking especially to adult men less so to like boys but especially to adult men is that men feel the potential exists for anything they do to be labeled as toxic and so I think when you're defining toxic masculinity or or what what the behaviors or the characteristics are what becomes really hard is there's not much of a difference between positive masculinity and and toxic masculinity right so like if you take any one characteristic like dominance for example like dominance is is bad in some scenarios and dominance is good in some scenarios if you're running a business you've got to be able to make decisions you've got to be able to like there's times when you have to be able to take control of a situation right Mm -hmm. um and i think it's measured i guess measured more often by the impact so whether that's like um being a provider or it's being a protector or it's being like courageous or it's being strong or it's being athletic or whatever it is all of those things that i guess society would say are traditionally masculine characteristics um can be positive or negative um i think almost that when we start when we have the conversation about masculinity feels to me like we start it in the wrong place and we start with the symptoms so we look at the behaviors and we're like this thing is the problem we're like oh the fact that this man wants to be a provider or the fact that men feel like they have to pay for dinner when they go out on a date is problematic um, and I, I'm not, I'm not, I don't know whether it's problematic or not, yeah. right? Like, I, I guess it depends on the scenario. But I think that the real issue there is actually the conversation around power and the power dynamics and the power imbalance that exists in society. And the fact that we live in a society, right, that prioritizes men just for being men. Um, and I think once, once you start to deconstruct that a little bit, like, one thing I, I often say is that what's, hard about the conversation is if you if we decided today that masculinity was no longer the set of characteristics we have now and we completely whacked it and we changed it to a whole new set of characteristics and we were like okay now masculinity is being kind and gentle and caring um, and nurturing and uh, patient because of that power imbalance that exists all of those things can also become corrupted do you know what i mean like all of them can also become toxic anything can become toxic um but i don't think the toxicity comes 
explicitly from the actual characteristics or the or the behaviors i think it comes from that power piece so I, like i think we i spend a lot of time like trying to deconstruct that piece um, and helping guys to understand their position and their positionality and, and where they stand in society and then what responsibility or what privilege comes along with that and then what can you how do you leverage that to make it fairer for other people yeah um it's like if somebody's sick and you're like ah, oh, you've got a cough and a sneeze and we need to treat the cough and the sneeze i feel like we as a society are now in this space where we're spending a lot of time treating the cough and we're spending a lot of time treating the sneeze as opposed to like figuring out what the underlying condition is um and i think the underlying condition is that piece about power and privilege really yeah totally I think that makes a lot of sense how you say that as well because it's like when you think about how we also now quite often talk about like toxic positivity as a phenomenon so like being positive isn't inherently a bad thing (laughs) surely that's a good thing yeah yeah, you can (laughs) you can you can somehow manage manage to make it something bad so it doesn't mean that positivity or masculinity are inherently bad things it's kind of how they get used Mm So. From your point of view of saying, you know, we quite often come into this conversation in the wrong place and kind of start looking at the wrong thing. When you are um, with Beyond Equality going in and doing these workshops and stuff, where do you tend to start that conversation? Like, where do you think is a good place to start? Um, so, so we do start, well, we generally tend to start with like looking at either gender stereotypes that exist in society. So what are, if I'm talking to kids, I'm like, oh, what are the things that you experience? What are the pressures that you feel like you face? Um, and obviously I wouldn't sit down a 12 year old and be like, what are the pressures you feel like you should be? But like, we'll run an activity that like kind yeah. of surface those surfaces, those kinds of ideas. Um, and when we're talking to adults, I think it's a lot more trying to create spaces for people to reflect on their own experiences and maybe pulling themes out of those experiences. So like, uh, it might be like one of the questions we often ask at the beginning of workshops is like, when was the first time you became aware of your gender, which is, I I think, a really interesting question. And and the response from women is often like quite drastically different to the response from men. I I find that women like can remember a time when they were like eight years old, when they were told that they weren't allowed to wear a certain item of clothing or a man looked at them in a weird way in the street or they were told that they had to behave this way because it wasn't safe for them to do something else. Mm. Whereas men seem to like just kind of float through life without ever having to really grapple with that idea of gender as a construct. But I think that's what privilege does, right? It makes itself invisible. So you don't notice, yeah. um, you don't notice how it kind of operates. And I think creating, creating that kind of space is, I think really important um, because actually one thing that we all have in common is that we've all got a, a shared experience of masculinity, right? No matter what gender we are, we've all grown up in the world um, or grown up in this world where there are rules and there are norms and there are experiences that we all have. Um, and so trying to pull out those things for people and help them to get into a space, because I think this is a conversation actually, like I, 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 I feel like we kind of exist in this like little um, liberal bubble mm. where we think everybody's having these conversations. But the reality of like <laughs> of the world is that most people are not talking about gender at all. Most people are not thinking about those kinds of conversations apart from if something controversial comes up in the news um, about like why trans people shouldn't be allowed to use 
toilets or as like, there's weird stuff that happens and everybody like jumps onto it but uh, beyond that i don't know how much people are really taking time to like sit down and, and reflect so we try to create that space where people get to think about it for themselves and reflect on like stuff like what did you learn from your same-sex parent or carer about your gender like what did what did you learn from your dad about masculinity what did you learn from your mom about femininity or what did you learn from your dad about femininity and your mom about masculinity and how like how where do those things come from where do we pick them up Mm. um and I think once people start to do that kind of reflection on where these ideas and these constructs come from then it allows you to kind of point out that it is a construct and I think that's a really good place to start the conversation actually because I think there's also still I find anyway in workshops that there's still like quite a a shared understanding that these things are biological um and I would argue that they're not like inherently biological I think they're quite societal but yeah I think that's that tends to be like a cool place to get to um and then I think once we get there then it's interesting to define like as a group what we're talking about when we're talking about masculinity Mm. um because again I think we we kind of walk into these conversations with the assumption that everybody thinks the way we think about things and actually people don't like some the, the amount of times we run workshops and there's one person in the workshop that's like oh um yeah my dad was like stoic and he didn't didn't talk and then there's another person who's like my dad was a feminist and my mum was the breadwinner in our family and for those two different people they're talking about very different things when they're talking about masculinity so I think it's important mm-hmm. wh- whoever you're working with to like give them the space to kind of define stuff and take bits out um, and I, I actually, I think that's like indicative of what the whole process is, like defining and then te- deconstructing and then redefining. Um, and I feel like that's a the best way to have the kind of conversation around um, gender and especially around masculinity. Yeah, I feel like that could probably apply to so many things in our right. society at the moment, <laughs> yeah. is that we come to all of these conversations expecting that everybody thinks exactly the same way that we do and it's yeah. it's just not true so I feel like that's a good thing to remember in any of these conversations um so you mentioned about talking to people about where they learned their kind of ideas about gender from their parents and those kind of examples mm. would you say that tends to be the biggest influence or there are other places that these kind of ideas tend to come from like once kids go to school for example do they tend Mm. to then pick up a lot more from there because I I know like personally friends who've got kids and I think these days especially and like you say in the liberal bubble (laughs) um, I think parents are like very aware of trying not to teach these things to their kids or trying you know trying to teach their kids about emotions and you know bring them up Mm. in a way that means they're going to be one a pleasant member of society and two going to be happier in the long right, run right, right. but you know then you send them to school and maybe a bunch of other people so like where would you say you get the most influence from on these kind of things sort of like throughout your life it's it that's such a good question and you know what i don't know if there's i don't know if i can give an answer for for other people because i think mm. it's really different for for different people i would say there's a there's a if I think about my own experience, I definitely learned a lot from my dad about what men were supposed to be like. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I had an extended family. So I had uncles, cousins, older cousins who also taught me all of these ideas about what men were supposed to be like. 
And then I went to school and I had like a couple of male teachers in primary school who I probably subconsciously was like, oh, that's what men do. And that's what, well, I know that, like, I feel like I know I did that because I've got, I've got six nieces, right? And all of them, like around the age of four, were coming home from like nursery, like, uh, boys are disgusting, they stink. And I was like, well, how did, where does that, how did all kids stink? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like you all smell. Like, I don't know how you've managed to differ, but I think it's like the books that they read and, and the songs that even on kids TV, there's songs and ideas like that you get about gender. Like I remember being a kid and watching Dennis the Menace and being like, oh, boys like playing with worms. And I didn't like playing with worms. Do you know what I mean? Like I liked playing with like my sister's hand-me-down Barbies and stuff. Um, mm-hmm. But I also liked playing with my action men. So I think there were all of those kinds of ideas. And then as you get older, more of those kind of ideas that just kind of float around start to like permeate a little bit. And like, I know for me, it was like when I was like 11 and 12, I was at home. Like if I got home from school before my parents got home from work, I was like watching MTV bass and listening to like 50 Cent singing PIMP. And like, just again, all of those kinds of ideas of like what masculinity is kind of start to get into and kids that grow up like in football have a very specific image of like what men are like Mm. and I think that happens for everyone like I remember watching James Bond with my grand do you know what I mean and thinking oh yeah when I'm older I'm gonna be like that like that's obviously I'm not but like I remember (laughs) watching it and being like oh yeah that's what that's cool and not it's not like formalized right you're not like that's masculinity and this is what men are supposed to be like you just see things and you're like oh that's what I want to do or that's how I want to be or that's what I'm supposed to do so I think it comes from like all angles man it's like media from family a a lot of the stuff I picked up was from religion from like growing up in in a church community Mm. um and again like very rigid and set ideas about and not necessarily bad ideas but just Mm. very set ideas of like what men are supposed to do and who men are supposed to be and the roles that they play in like family and and in community um but I think that's where the danger is right is when it becomes prescriptive I think it becomes hard because there's always going to be people who don't fit into that um and so for those guys like we don't present any alternatives of how vast masculinity can be like I think all of the messages you get as you're growing up are very specific and very defined so I, I think it, I, I actually think it's really hard. Like a part of me feels really sad for kids. And I think girls get it about femininity as well. Like there's a reason that kids are bought workstations or kitchens when they're, when they're like four years old, do you know what yeah. I mean? For their first mm-hmm. toys and that kind of stuff. And yeah, it's, it's weird. You never really see little boys walking around with like babies, but you see little girls like pushing around push chairs. And so all of those kinds of ideas about what you're supposed to do start so early that you probably don't even notice like you I don't think any of us are really like oh this is a strange like social commentary on who I'm supposed to be as a person you're just like this is what me and all of my friends do so I'm gonna do it yeah definitely it's it is one of those things that must just kind of like seep into everywhere right but that is what you're kind of trying to like change and tackle with like the workshops that you run so beyond equality as it's now called, used to be called the Good Lad Initiative. Is yeah, that right? And the Great Initiative before that. <laughs> we love a and rebrand. The great <laughs> so many name changes. So, so even t- setting aside some of the name changes, how did that kind of come to be? Have you been with those projects since the beginning? Like where where did that come from? Um, yeah, so I haven't I haven't been here since the beginning. I've been here for about six or seven years now. 
And when I started, I started as a volunteer at the Great Initiative. So mm-hmm. I think the, I forget the origin stories. I'm really bad at remembering things like this, but I, m- the best of my understanding is that Grey started as, there was like a, a group of, um, what do you call them? Like philanthropists? I don't know, but like rich people who were like, we want to do stuff around, <laughs> we want to do stuff around gender equality. Like we think that that's a, like a really noble cause, think that that's important. Um, and we're going to start a charity that does work around that that area to tackle that kind of issue. And so they were doing like loads of fundraising stuff and I think went down the pretty traditional kind of route of like, we're going to like go and do stuff with starving kids in Africa because that's where the, that's where the heart of the problem is. And essentially they just hired the wrong staff members. Like they hired some people to run the projects and they were like, we're not doing that. Like this is, this is a terrible idea. Like gender equality is an issue here. Um, yeah. And we need to tackle it here. So there, there was a bunch of, uh, I think the first team started a schools project um, that was working with boys. And I think it was originally called Great Men Value Women. Um, mm. So that was the project. It was to teach boys about again, about violence against women and girls um, and what role they played in that in, and in preventing that. And then it went through like loads of different iterations. And I joined as a volunteer on that project. So I was working at a different charity um, teaching sex ed. Uh, and part of my job role there was to make a project about being boys being good men. Um, mm-hmm. And I remember like sitting down to start this project and I was like, oh shit, like what do you say to boys to convince them that they should be good men? Like wh- why, why should they do that? Yeah. Um, and so I was researching loads of other organizations uh, in the UK and like elsewhere in the world. And loads of people were saying stuff like you have to like take boys into the forest and teach them how to chop down trees and like teach them how to lay bricks and build houses. And then they'll get in touch with their masculinity and they'll understand like responsibility and hard work and they'll be good men. Right. And uh, it didn't resonate with me, but not for the right reasons at that time. Like I wasn't like, this is intellectually stupid. I was just like, I have pretty hands and I don't want to, like, I don't actually want to go into the forest and chop down trees. That's not my vibe at all. Like I'm not that kind of dude. Um, And so I found the great initiative and I called them and I was like, can we have a meeting? Um, And we had the meeting and I asked them if they could share the resources and they were like, you can have the resources if you come to the training. So I went to the training just to steal the stuff. um, And it was super weird because it was like, for me, the first time I'd been in a room full of men where it felt like people were actually talking about stuff. And at that point, like I had no framework of like intersectional feminism. I didn't know that that was a thing. Like I had no understanding of how all of that stuff worked. I'd done my degree in theology um, and I'd planned on like being a pastor and that was like what I was going to do. But I got kicked out of Bible college because I had sex. So that was super awkward. <laughs> it was really, really, <laughs> it's another conversation for another time. But um, I, yeah, I came out of uni and I had no real idea of what I was going to do. And so when I started um, volunteering, I was like, wow, this is like a, it's a place where I can learn stuff and I can understand stuff. And and I really struggled up until that point with cognitive dissonance. So I really struggled with like holding beliefs that didn't kind of match mm. up. And I think the idea that I'd grown up with of spirituality um, didn't match who I was becoming in the yeah. world. And it didn't hold space either for like my experiences of like race and prejudice and all of that kind of stuff. So I was like, ah, oh, it doesn't, doesn't really work. And then I, started to like explore this new framework and I was like oh it this completely makes sense like it kind of explains everything um 
And so I started volunteering there. Um, and then we ran out of money <laughs> while I was there. And so we merged with the, the Good Lad Initiative um, and they were doing similar projects in universities. Um, and so we kind of merged those two projects together and were doing schools and universities work and then started um, doing corporate stuff as well. Um, and so we've been doing that for like the last couple of years and it's, yeah, it's it's good work. And I, th I think it's, um, one of the things I like about it is that it, it, it gives you like, when I started there as a volunteer, it gave me a very direct route into like challenging an issue that I could see and I didn't really know what to do about it. Um, so I think for loads of guys that like volunteer with us, they see like the world around them and they're like, oh, like I grew up in this stuff. Like all of my friends grew up in this stuff. Everybody I know at work like thinks this way or yeah. believes this kind of stuff. And I don't know how to challenge it. Um, but if you can go and like, there's a thing where people say, if you can explain something to a child, you really understand it. Um, and so I think like giving people the tools, one, to be able to have those conversations with kids, but two, to be able to do that exploration in, in themselves and with their own communities is like a, a really, um, valuable piece of work and I, I i always say that the volunteers are like the primary beneficiaries of the project like i feel like this has done so much more for me and like changing my life and my understanding of who i am as a person um than it does in three hours for a boy in a workshop but also i think for those kids um if I if if I was like fourteen and I I had someone come into school and be like, yo, you don't have to like do all of this crap. Like mm -hmm. you can be whatever you want to be and you can do whatever you want to do and not like in terms of like you can be an astronaut, but just like all of the pressures that you feel, you don't have to live up to those kinds of ideas. And um, I think that's really yeah, I think it's really cool work. So it, I think it gives loads of people an opportunity to feel like they're having an impact in in the world around them, which is nice. Definitely. And I mean, you kind of kind of mentioned before about how it is it's different when you're going into like maybe a, a corporate workshop with a load of men, for example, as opposed to going into a school. Mm. Do you find you get kind of a similar level of resistance, whether it's like younger people or older people? Is it is it just expressed in a different way? Or do you think like younger people these days are a bit more willing to kind of see these things? Have they not had as much time to like soak it in? Is it good to get in early? I would say that adults are big kids. And I think what is really interesting is when you give like in, in corporate sessions, when you give adults the chance to like be taught and like sit in a, in a session where they're not, they, they don't have responsibility, that their only responsibility is to be there and to contribute. Um, they kind of like revert in their mind to like the 16 year old version of themselves. I think all of us do it. Like I feel like, because it feels like you're in school, right? So you start to behave like you did when you were in school. Yeah. Um, and I think there is resistance across the board, but I think there's, there's not as many cases of like, belligerence as you would imagine there would be mm -hmm. i don't think we often come across low uh, guys it, whether it's in schools or in universities or in corporates who are like i just fundamentally disagree with this idea um i think a lot of people are like really open to having conversations which is encouraging but then it's it's also scary because uh there are loads of people accessing some like really weird media and so like especially kids like mm. i think that's the big difference right like when i was a kid and i was in school um, I had like a 3210, do you know what I mean? Like a, a Nokia Same. brick phone that could just about go on the internet. Yeah. Um, and now kids have got like everything 
at the touch of their fingers. Like they can access anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's, it's really hard to regulate what they're accessing. Um, so there's a lot of boys, I think, who are accessing some kind of weird MRA, like men's rights activists and incel kind of forums and those kinds of like YouTube videos and uh, starting to like understand those ideas. And I think, I guess that's why it's important, right? Is because you, you've got to get, I don't, I don't think it's about proving anything to anyone mm-hmm. or like changing anybody's mind. I think that the real work is about giving people the tools to like critically analyze material and to critically analyze their own ideas. And, and I think that's a big part of like probably the education system that's missing. Like I know for myself, I didn't learn how to do that until I was in university. Like that in uni, that's the first time I sat down to write an essay and I was like, Oh, I'm, I'm actually expected to like take seven different people's opinions and form my own opinion about what all of these people, but you don't yeah. learn that at like 12. Right. So no. I think giving kids the ability to do that earlier is really important because they, they can access everything now. So they're forming opinions and views with no real sense of like what's true. And then we've got like all of this fake news stuff and just madness in the world. That's like, how, how does anybody even know what to think or what to believe? And how can you expect a child who can access all of that to, to come to good conclusions? Mm. Um, so I think, I, I guess the, the big difference between adults and kids is that adults have, have probably got more fixed opinions they probably think that they they know what they think as opposed to like thinking what they think if that makes sense so it's like they they're like oh the things that I believe are definitely true um as opposed to kids who are like oh I think this today but then I learn something in science tomorrow so I don't think that anymore um and I think as you become an adult probably loads of us stop learning like that right like we stop our minds stop expanding in the same way they do when you're young yeah um so yeah, kids are much more malleable in terms of like forming and changing ideas and opinions. Um, but I would say in terms of the opinions that they hold, they're pretty similar across across all age ranges. Yeah. I mean, like you say, that is encouraging that because I would kind of imagine, you know, you go into a workplace, you would get a fair amount of resistance, I guess. But I think, I mean, I think it's, I just think it sounds like a great solution to what is obviously a very ingrained problem like I even think of quite recently where there was a big big case in the news that was a case of um violence against a woman and Mm -hmm. it it started a lot of things in the UK and it was a friend of mine his he works for like quite a large corporate company and his employer sent around an email that was basically saying that anyone and mainly the women um they would send them or pay for any kind of like personal attack alarms and anything like that Mm. which is obviously is you know is a good thing to do that's that's great but then he had then replied to that email which I which I was like well done and was like okay (laughs) but is that like are we gonna do anything about about the men here like yeah is there anything we can do because they haven't done anything and you're telling them to be extra safe but you know what like what are we gonna do about it which I just think is like then when you hear about workshops like like or what you do I'm like yeah that's that's what you need to do and that seems to be you know there's there are people who want to learn this stuff as well I don't think it has to be a case of like forcing it on men and it's also Mm. when you talk about like well if we talk about masculinity toxic masculinity like the patriarchy as a whole of a system Mm. I think when you hear I think people think that feminists will talk about you know the patriarchy as in like we have to dismantle anything that puts a man in charge. But actually it's not. It's about like these kind of ideas 
yes, they end up harming women, but they harm men as well. So these kind mm. of workshops, it's like it's genuinely just harm reduction from all sides as far as I can see it. Yeah, it's because that, that's a that's a really interesting point as well, right? Like men, men are, um, or statistically anyway, men perpetrate so many more acts of violence than women. It's not to say women don't perpetrate acts of violence, but yeah. like men, <laughs> like the, the statistics say that men do that a lot more. Um, but then I think we, we often think our oh, men are really violent towards women, but men are also violent towards men, right? Which is like perpetuates this kind of idea that men have to be violent, whether it's like for power or, or for protection, like for self-defense. Um, and I think like even that kind of idea, like giving a kid the space to understand that drastically changes their approach to like violence. Um, mm. and, and I, I do think it is really, really important that we're, having these conversations because like you say men are men are like really suffering and I, and I I think that like mental health statistics like obviously reflect that um and I think there's a lot of a lot of conversations about um the the ways that that shows up for men like the ways that they are harmed but then I think also it disproportionately impacts women and and non-binary folk right and, and mm-hmm. people of other genders um in a way where it's just like oh the world is really not a, really not a very safe place, mm. um, but everybody's attention seems to be focused on how do we ensure that the people who are unsafe can protect themselves, as opposed to like how do we stop it from being unsafe? Yeah. Again, like that same like symptom thing where we're like, oh, if sexual harassment on the street is the problem, women should do self-defense classes so they can beat up guys but like surely the solution here is not everybody beating everybody up or everybody having that's an interesting conversation that comes up actually like when we talk about um violence I think loads of the kids like we ask questions like would you rather live in a world where everybody could beat everybody up or would you rather live in a world where there was no fighting and it's really interesting Mm -hmm. to hear their opinions because a lot of them would actually rather live in a world where everybody could beat everyone up um Mm -hmm. which is like to me really weird yeah but I think also there's there's a specific lens that they're looking through that that means that they a lot of them I feel like they're in a a battle of survival do you know what I mean Mm -hmm. I think it's hard to tell someone that they're not allowed to think a certain way um but I think that's why we try and do the work of being like okay so why do you think that and where does it come from and is that if you could decide anything would that be the best conclusion for you to decide on and if not then how do we get to the other place like is there a path that we can kind of chart where you can move towards something that's maybe more positive or less harmful for other people. But it's, it's it, yeah, it's, it's super interesting because I think you've got to suspend a lot of judgment, right? Like there's a lot yeah. of stuff that you hear where immediately you're like, oh my gosh, this is really bad. Mm. Um, and then <laughs> then you have to like interrogate it a lot. Um, but when things are interrogated, generally they fall apart. You know, I mean, if something doesn't make sense and you ask enough questions, people yeah. realise it doesn't make sense. Um so that's like a, a fun bit of a fun bit of the work. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's it's interesting, like you say, the way we look at things. And I think that also goes to show like how important it is to talk about stuff and like look at the language that we use. Cause kind of as you were saying, it's when we look at all the statistics and things, and even the statistics you talk about, I mean this this isn't something I've realized, this is something that I've mm. read that other people have said, <laughs> but you look at it and we talk about statistics on violence against women in such mm. an abstract sense like we don't we don't talk about who's doing the violence it's like right. it's all then still focused on women so then yeah 
I don't know. Yeah. I think I think it's such a such a good way to go in and try and like dismantle some of these things that then you get to the root cause, as you say. Mm. There's a really good TED talk. I'm not sure if you've seen it by Jackson Katz, where he speaks about that, like the language that we use around um, perpetrators of violence, mm. and that that kind of point that you're saying about how we f- we still focus it on women and then it and then I think when you speak about it in that way it stands to reason that people would think oh that's a women's issue rather than like that's something that men have to (laughs) stop other men from doing or somebody's got to do work to stop men from doing that thing we kind of like I think there's this view in society that like bad things are just inevitable do you know what I mean And there's no way to stop people from being violent or wanting to be violent or uh, abusing or harassing other people. Um, so we've just got to teach people how to deal with it. But I, I take quite like an optimistic stance on like preventative work. And I imagine it's, t- it is tough, you know, cause I, like I, I imagine as I get older, like it will change a little bit. Um, and I know people who have worked in like violence prevention mm. and like work for women's aid networks and like solace and those kinds of places. And I've like that kind of work when you're coming face to face with the reality of like the pain that is caused, that is that's a really tough space I think to inhabit and like my my view or my kind of role allows me to be really optimistic um but I would never I would never say that that Mm. has to be the stance that other people take I think there's lots of different roles and and prevention isn't the only kind of work that can be done right I think there's also like a lot of work that has to be done around protecting people and around restorative work and like how you rehabilitate people who have <laughs> who have done violence or have been violent um but often like I grew up in church and there was a phrase that we grew up with which was like hurt people hurt people um and I think that's so true right like I think mm-hmm. that a lot of the stuff that we see manifest in men uh, or in older boys yeah is because they have been victims of that kind of stuff when they were younger do you know what I mean like yeah when you grow up playing sports and your coaches are like screaming at you, like absolutely berating you and you're like eight years old and you're like, oh my gosh, mm. like obviously you develop ways of dealing with that or like ways of like shutting off emotions so that you don't have to face that kind of pain. Um, and it's just, it's just unhealthy, but I think we can undo a lot of that work. I think it just takes a lot of time to undo it. So there's a lot of work to do. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I think us talking a bit about language leads us nicely into the Q&A section. And our first question today is from Kira, who says, Ocean Vong spoke about words used to encourage boys in their achievements and how they relate to aggression, e.g. you're killing it, you're making a killing, etc. 
I want to know how much societal norms and the way we address men play a role in encouraging toxic masculinity and what can we do to shift the focus from that? Mm, it's a good question. Um, yeah, I would, uh, do you know what I would say is I would say the role that that language plays is huge. Um, and I think often in a lot of ways that we don't realise um, that that was a really good example of like, oh, you're killing it. Um, mm. And I think uh, it doesn't, I don't think that those things are explicit. I don't think it's like, oh, because we say that now boys will be violent. But I think it, it adds to this kind of wider picture that we have um, in society of what what the norms are and what things are, what types of behaviour are expected from what types of people. Um, and so I think, I think, yeah, we've got a lot of, a lot of work to do. Um, and th like, that's not my area of expertise. Like I'm not somebody who analyzes the kind of language that we use um, mm -hmm. and, and tries to deconstruct it. But I do think that's an important part of this process. And I guess one thing that we can all do, right, is be more aware of what type of language we use. Like I, earlier in the podcast, I, and this isn't about masculinity. This is about ableism. But like I said, that's lame. And as, as soon as I said it, I was like, oh, that's, why did I say that? Like, why is that still a part of my vocabulary? Um, and it's not necessarily like, I have similar conversations with boys when they talk about things being gay. Um, and it's not like a moment of like, you're not allowed to say that, but it's just like, oh, what does that, yeah. like, where does that come from? And why do we say it? And what are we trying to communicate when we say that thing? What value are we attaching to a certain identity or to a certain behavior? So if we always attach value and success to the idea of killing, then we grow up in a world where like killing, obviously people aren't walking down the road saying, yeah, let's all kill each other. But then when we do see things like when we, when we play games and when we, um, when we encourage people to enroll in the army and that kind of stuff, we have a, a common understanding of what happens there and we kind of just excuse it as a, as a society. Um, yeah. And I think again, like the, across the board, not just in, in regards to masculinity, but I think all of us probably need to do a lot more work of understanding the things that we say um, mm. and, and understanding the impact that they have, whether we notice that impact or not. So whether like people start crying because we use certain words around them or not, the impact of the word, even in just what it normalizes in our own minds becomes really important. I think we've, yeah, we've definitely got to analyze that a lot more. Yeah, it's so true. And it's even that example that you gave of people being like, oh, that's gay or something like that is something that like when I was at school, that was just something that you said. And if anyone ever mentioned like so normal, if anyone ever mentioned that as being weird, it was kind of, yeah, but that's not what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm definitely not homophobic. <laughs> no, no, yeah. no, no, exactly. <laughs> yeah. But like, it is, uh, the way that things shift as a society is like, it's it's wild really, because mm. like now you you just don't say that. And at the time, if you thought about it, you were like, you, the, but that that's not what I meant. Mm. But now we know, we have a lot more conversations now about, you know, how the impact is, you know, more important than your intention and that we just have to train out of these mm. things. And I think it is one of those things that you just have to actually catch yourself doing and practice not doing it. Mm. And it's like, yeah, I think yeah, like Kira's question, it's like if you're more aware of this language and you can kind of challenge it when it comes up, then gradually, hopefully we can just sort of shift away from it a bit. Yeah, definitely. Next question is from an anonymous listener who says, how do you think we could help educate children who've grown up around toxic masculinity and gender inequality in their families and who don't see a problem with it? I would say, ask a lot of questions. 
the reason I say ask questions is because I think I think one thing that we we tend to do as a society is I, or, so I'm I'm speaking about like a, specifically in like a UK context right and like being in the is are we in the northern he- hemisphere yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> like being the glo- part of the global north we have almost like this kind of like imperialistic uh, colonial mindset of because I think something I'm right. And mm-hmm. the other person is wrong. And I, it's my job to then educate the other person. And I think in some cases that's right. In a lot of cases, it's really risky and quite dangerous. And I think one thing that is important is positioning yourself, not as the expert on a topic, but like as somebody who's interested and who wants to learn. Um, and I think if you, if you're talking to kids, like kids are so interesting because they don't have filters, right? So they don't, they, they don't like think th- things through and then think, Oh, I shouldn't say that thing. They just say what's yeah. on their mind. Um, and if there's a kid who's grown up in a certain environment and they therefore think a bunch of things, um, and you ask them why they think that or where that comes from or like what they think the impact of that thing is. Mm. First of all, the likelihood is, like I said earlier, kids will just change their mind. They'll just be like, oh yeah, no, I don't think that anymore. Like that, mm-hmm. that was stupid. I can't believe I thought that. But also you might learn something. Do you know what I mean? Like you might be like, oh my gosh, I'd never considered that before. And now I have a much better understanding of like why kids who grow up in certain environments think in certain ways. Yeah. Um, and I think the other part of that question is like, it has to become part of education. It has to become part of our syllabuses. Like these kind of conversations have to become much more commonplace in schools. Um, like loads of kids spend more time in school than they spend with their families. Mm-hmm. And I think there's, there's a bigger role that society plays in like educating kids and what we choose to educate kids about and how we choose to educate them, even like didactic methods of education and, and like telling kids the right answers and they have to memorize them to pass an exam as opposed Mm -hmm. to like this is really interesting what do you think about it um but then I think the other part of that is like not all of us are teachers right and not all of us are educators but I think you can be inquisitive and you can ask questions um and you'll probably be really surprised by the responses or the kids will realize that they what they think doesn't really make sense and then just change their mind that is good advice yeah we definitely definitely had a good um good few questions in from teachers actually which I think Mm we've kind of covered where you talk about you know like interventions when kids are young and like the way that the way that you can talk to them I think it's yeah I mean I think that's really good advice it's if they can't if they can't kind of back up and realize like why something that they've like heard on tv they realize it doesn't make any sense I guess then them coming to that conclusion by themselves is probably going to stick longer than it is just you telling them something right right and you know and it's so funny as well because when you flip it on kids they hate it but like you know kids are always like why but why why though? Why? Yeah. Like if you do that to a kid, like they'll be like, I don't really know. <laughs> I, don't, I don't actually know why. Like I've just realized I don't know why, but I think that's a really, a really fun space to be in with anyone, right? Like a, a space where both of us are like, oh, we don't know the answer and we can now co-create like a new way of understanding this thing. And I think if you can get into that space with kids, like you, one, you'll have a lot of fun and two, like they will um, grow a lot in that space in terms of one their understanding of a topic but two like how they learn to understand things in general which is really nice yeah that is nice um okay last question is from kaylee who says recently i've noticed more and more men or young boys embracing themselves and expressing themselves through their clothes so i think meaning as less traditional sort of masculine dressing um but still facing the backlash for doing so and many sitting by. What do you feel is the best approach to show someone your support without feeling like you're being too much? This is a really interesting question. And I think 
if I think about my own journey with this, with being part of like communities where there are individuals who choose to like really drastically deviate from the norms. Yeah. So kids who choose to, or adults who choose to dress outside of their gender, for example, like is a really mm-hmm. good one. I think I, I went through a long period of time of being like, anytime somebody does something, I have to be the person who really supports them. Mm-hmm. And I like, that's my role. Like I have to be like, yeah, yes, you slay. Yes. But I think actually what is really valuable is just being yourself and just being honest because sometimes like I think especially with kids there are times when kids wear things and they don't look good they're learning how to like style and I think there's a lot of value in being real about whatever it is that people are choosing to do I think you've got to do that piece of work first about your own prejudices and and what biases you hold and all of that kind of stuff about like gender norms and what you think is okay and all of that kind of stuff and once you've done that and you find yourself in a space where you're around people who are doing stuff Mm. just keep it real with them do you know what I mean like if you like something that they're wearing be like I really like that thing and if you don't like it you don't need to comment on it but I think that helps people to feel like what they're doing is normal as opposed to what they're doing is radical. Yeah. And it's it's a hard it's a hard line to toe, right? Because some people need that kind of radical encouragement and they need to feel like they are accepted and they are acknowledged and what they're doing is like seen and recognized and other people yeah. just it's other people are not doing that to make a statement they're just doing it to express themselves um, or they're just doing it because that's what they want to do and so in those kinds of situations it, it doesn't have to be like fake and forced and like over the top but you can just you you've got to make like a, a judgment on what a person might need from you in in a mm. moment and sometimes you get it wrong and if you get it wrong like you apologize you you show that you acknowledge what you did and like give a real apology and like commit to not doing that thing again while you're around that person and keep it moving but I think yeah it doesn't it doesn't all have to be always like bringing up the choir and clapping and singing songs for people like sometimes people just want to wear what they want to wear and go about their day so the, the other day a good example was like I was wearing some pearls I, I've just recently learned to like string pearls and I'm not somebody who dresses outside of my gender norm too much but like I grew up with my mum really liking jewellery. So I really like jewellery. And my mum like does like loads of little jewellery making courses. So I learned loads of stuff from my mum about how to like do stuff. And so I was wearing some pearls and my mum was like, oh, why are you wearing those? And I was like, you could just leave me alone. Like if you don't like them, like I don't, I don't need to, like I don't know your opinion about anything else that I do that you don't like. You, you don't have to comment on this, it's fine. But if you do like them, like some of my sisters have seen them and been like, yo, that's so nice. Can you make me one? Like, where did you get it from? Da, 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 da. Mm. And that's like a nice little, just a nice little line to toe, I think is just be normal about it. And just like, if you like something, tell someone you like it. If you don't, keep your mouth shut. Um, and I think that's a cool way to like go about it. Good advice for life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you want to know about opportunities to send in questions for upcoming guests, then follow us on Instagram or Twitter at goodinfluencegs and email me at goodinfluencepod at gmail.com. So before you go, I've got three things I ask every guest on the podcast, and that's if listeners want to find out more about what we've been talking about today. Could you please recommend us something to read, something to listen to, and something to watch? Oh, that's a good... Yes, I can. (laughs) I can recommend you things to read and listen to and watch. Um, I think the first thing is I'm not a big reader, and that's really not how like I take information in. Mm. Um, But I, I, I do listen to like the occasional audiobook, 
And one that I've listened to that recently that was really good was Laura Bates's Men Who Hate Women, um, which I think is like a really good exploration of the incel culture, um, the manosphere, like men's rights activism. But I think it also gives like a really good basis and like framework for understanding masculinity. Um, so I'd say that's a really, a really cool book to read. JJ Bowler has a really good book called Mask Off, which is also like, it's much smaller and like breaks down masculinity in, in like culturally relevant ways, which is really cool. And then I'd say listen to, I don't know if you watch TED Talks or listen to TED Talks. I listen to them sometimes like as, as kind of podcasts because they're like really short. Um, and I used to like listen to really long podcasts, but now because we don't go anywhere because of COVID, like I just, <laughs> I just sit in like, I sit on the toilet and listen to a quick podcast. You know what I mean? So, Brilliant. um, there's, there's a really good one by Tony Porter called A Call to Men, which is like a, a, yeah, one of the best podcasts I think, or one of the best TED Talks I've ever heard. Mm. Um, and then I, I mentioned one earlier as well by Jackson Katz, um, which is a, another really good uh, short TED Talk that you can listen to. It's about 10 minutes or 15 minutes long. Um, and then for watching, I would say, depends on who you are and what kind of like TV you enjoy watching. I The thing that I struggle with is like, I don't really like watching stuff about or reading stuff or listening to stuff about what I do for work. Because yeah. I feel like then my whole life is consumed by work. Yeah, um, so I try to avoid it. But one film that I've seen that's really good is called The Mask You Live In which I think I don't I'm not sure if you can get it on Netflix but I've got it on like iTunes and I know you can buy it on Amazon mm. um so that's a really good film that like really really breaks down masculinity it goes into like loads of different areas and it just looks at that mask that men put on um and kind of live behind that that I guess they call masculinity which is really cool um and there's a really good episode of the new Twilight Zone. So Jordan Peele, have you seen this, The Twilight Zone, the new one? No, I haven't. I remember seeing the adverts for that it was coming out and I haven't watched it yet. And you've, you literally, as soon as you said that, I was like, oh my God, I never watched that. Yeah, like that is, it's good watching. It's really, really good watching. But there's an episode called Not All Men in season one. I think it's like episode eight or nine. Um, mm. And it's like a really good commentary on masculinity like if you if you're um a woman who's listening and you want to have conversations about masculinity with like guys in your life whether that's like brothers or partners or parents or whatever and, and they just don't want to talk about you mm. watch that episode of the twilight zone with them because it's like the twilight zone is really trippy anyway but it's a really good social commentary on masculinity that like opens up loads of really good conversations but it's still like really really entertaining um so i'd say that's a good a good episode to watch of the twilight zone thank you for listening and thank you ben for joining me if you enjoyed the episode i'd love you to subscribe to the podcast on whichever platform you're currently listening and if you've got an extra minute you can leave a rating and a review as well your reviews make a big difference and help other people find the podcast see you next week ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 